Welcome to the Winners Win Podcast, where we highlight awesome people in Kansas City and their secrets to success. I'm your host, Jamie Simpson. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of NetStandard. At NetStandard, we manage technology so you can manage your business. Today, my guest is Sheila Sec, Managing Partner of Sec & Associates. Hi, Sheila. Thanks Hi, for Jamie. being with me. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here this morning. Uh, before we get started, I'm gonna I'm gonna mix things up a little bit. Um, I like to ask people since we talk, we, we're gonna spend the rest of the time talking about your many successes. I like to start by asking people about a memorable loss or your first loss. And some people talk about little league, and some people talk about business. You can talk about whatever thing, whatever comes to mind. But what is a time when you did not win that sticks out in your head? When we did not win, um, I would say it is when we have had really big growth at the firm and, you know, you're trying to scale up and hire more attorneys and, you know, sometimes that feels uncomfortable and our clients have felt that. So, you know, we maybe lost a client and that I take so personally, but during that growth stage where maybe, you know, we had a little bump in the road and I always tell my attorneys, like with clients, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. It's probably not a huge thing that causes them to leave, but just all the little things when yeah. when we are on our top game, maybe. Yeah, that makes sense. So not a big loss, but something that I think we think about all the time. And when it does happen, it feel you know it feels a little bit personal. Yeah, I think I think most business owners take those kind of things yes. personally, right? Because it's your baby and their clients that you work hard to get clients. Right. And you certainly, want and you to want them clients. to be happy. Sure, sure. And so you that. want them to feel like they're getting value for what they're paying, you know, for these expensive legal services. So. Well, and we were talking a little earlier about, you know, how you treat people and how important it is. And I think that's one of the things that I think is really hard for me is when someone walks away and I know they feel like they haven't been treated right. the way I want them to feel, right? I mean, you, regardless of whether we do business together or we don't do business together in that setting, I still want people to feel like I respect them and I right. value them. And, and even if it's not the right time for us to work together for whatever reason, then that we can walk away and go, okay, well, we all feel good about right. each other here. Right. And that just doesn't always happen. And I agree with that. Right. Thank and you. often, like, I think sometimes communication really can smooth those things over when it does happen, you know, kind of owning up to it or saying, you know, I'd love your feedback, how we can do better next time. I so, think people really like to be asked. I think you're right. I think sometimes just the elephant in the room and getting right. it out there is the way, you know. But I'm also an extremely direct communicator, which I don't know if you know that about me yet, yeah. but you'll you'll figure it out fast. I don't, I don't I think, beat around the bush. A lot, but I think so. like, successful people are. I mean, I think being passive aggressive or get, is, you know, or being paralyzed about having those difficult discussions can be hard for your business. Yeah. Like, well, I think you, communication is the, the key. Well, I think that's a great segue because you are clearly an expert communicator. So back up for me again and tell me a little bit about sort of who you are and your firm and, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so uh, I am founder of a law firm, Second Associates, which only does business law. So we do everything from startup through helping clients grow through capital raises, all kinds of things, and then help them when they're ready to sell uh representing them all the way to the end of their business. So it's really the full life cycle. So we see everything that happens, good and bad, and it's really rewarding. It's 
I always say I have the happy practice of law because there's a lot of win-wins compared to litigation. So yeah, uh, it just feels good a lot of the time. So how did you get started? I looked online, I mentioned this a minute ago, that you actually have your undergraduate degree in engineering. So how did you end up in law? Right, well, because I really just didn't love being an engineer, I hate to say that, but um, I wanted something that was much more client-facing, much more, it still, so it had the same things, problem solving, being organized, you know, having to, you know, have some, ability to solve problems with clients, but in a much more uh, social way, I would say. Because <laughs> my high uh, extrovert needed that. Yeah, 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 the extroverts are probably hard to come by at Rolla, I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah. yeah, not a yeah. lot of yeah. extroverts. Yeah, yes. at least when I was familiar with it, it may have changed. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, not that, in, you know, there are engineering jobs where you're in sales or, you know, have that, but for me, it just wasn't, like, I love the work, but it just served me so well because I think all the things that you learn in engineering are so applicable to solve problem solving for clients. So it's just been such a blessing for me to have become a lawyer and, and made that change. Well, I think one of the things that's so interesting about your practice is your focus on entrepreneurs and sort of business law and transactional law. And so how did you first get involved with that? And, and then what made you start your own practice? Yeah, so I thought, what do I like about being an engineer? And I saw that law was a way that I could do something that I liked, sort of that would be fit for my personality. So, but that didn't mean litigation from the first day I knew I was going to be a transactional attorney. And I started out at a large firm, Brian Cave in Kansas City, where I had great training. They're fabulous, so many wonderful people there. But um, it was, you know, very hard to have a work-life balance. I had two small kids, and I got hired away by Honeywell to go in-house. And that probably just didn't give me the kind of autonomy or working with different clients that I liked. It was a great experience, but I didn't like having one client. I missed having a lot of clients. Yeah. Lot, seeing a lot of things that were going on in Kansas City. So um, the next thing was to sort of, you know, launch my own practice. So I've never looked back. It's been great. Did you, what challenges did you have when you did that? Um, I feel like more, like when I did it and I just kind of had some clients and started, that, that was the easy part. I mean, I always felt like very confident I can do that. I think the harder part often is just growing your firm and sort of, how I see it is like things can be the status quo, they're going great, and then you grow and you bring on more people and you need more processes. And, you know, then you kind of get to another status quo and it's working and then you grow and you hire more people and, you know, you need to change some processes. So it's sort of those growth periods that are the hardest. And I think a lot of it's the people portion, which based on all my clients, that's probably pretty common that the people part is hard sometimes or can be. Yeah, we I actually just got done talking to to my friend Shane about cybersecurity, and we had a whole conversation about how people is hard in a technical sense too, right? Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we're all the anomalies, right? Everybody, you know, sort of not everyone processes things the same way, and that dealing with those things is, I'm sure, a big part of what you do. Right. And so we do a very, we have a very sophisticated practice. So, you know, we're competing with big firms for talent, and that's sometimes hard. Um, but we have, you know, we do have a great team, but I think, yeah, so those are the challenges, but I mean, I think it's still mostly every day I wake up and I'm still pretty excited, even after all these years to be able, you know, I feel honored to work with these startups who it's, it's their whole life. So 
what we can bring is very valuable to them. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So do most companies reach out to you because they're they're looking to do a transaction or are they um, sort of building their legal base of business as a startup? I mean, how do you yeah. engage typically with those kind of clients? Yeah. So I've just had a long talk with a tech startup today. So his technology is that he's ready to launch. It's going to a trade show. So he's had all these people kind of work for free for him. So he's like, I need to give them equity. We talked about how that would work, tax implications. Um, he had some other things, uh, you know, they needed to have some um, software development agreement. So he's trying to like put it all together now that he's ready to launch, even though his company was formed like a year ago. So we kind of, we get involved when, you know, these entrepreneurs are getting to each level. Like, are they ready to raise capital? Are they ready to give their employees equity? Yeah. Are they ready to buy out a partner who is not in alignment with them? Which happens all the time. All the time. So, you know, it seems really great when you're sitting around the table like, let's start this awesome tech company. And then somebody just said, thinks this is not for them. So that's very common, whether it's in the first year or in year five. Yeah. Well, that's such an interesting, um, I assume it presents some really interesting legal challenges. Do you have a favorite part of the process? Like, is there a stage of evolution that you find more interesting or? Yeah, kind of when they get sophisticated enough where they're raising capital with sophisticated investors, private equity firms, because um, those deals are fun. But really the part I like the very best is the mergers and acquisitions. Mm -hmm. So where somebody is getting an offer and we're evaluating that or we're helping them put together a sales side where we're like, what would you like? Like, what is your, if you were able to sell your company today, what would that look like? Would you want to continue working? Would you be willing to roll over and buy some equity in the new company? So all those things to get a, a business owner what they want and, you know, take the success of what they've grown. Okay. I have a question that you might not be able to answer. I think you can, but we'll see. And if you can't, then that's fine. But what is the weirdest thing that somebody has asked for in an M&A transaction? Um, There's got to be some really strange No, it's stuff. more like they'll say, um, uh, if I die, I don't want my wife to get to vote. In each, I want all, If we die, we want our wives to have non-voting equity. I go, oh, really? <laughs> Do they know that? Yeah. I go, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> So, for example, you know, being I grew up in St. Louis, I said, what if you were an early investor in Anheuser-Busch and you were one of the founders, but you die and you own a 30% and it's this huge company, but your wife can't vote on anything. Your shares are locked up and non-voting. I'm like, think, you know, if you get bigger, that like so nonsensical. Plus, like, isn't your wife smart too? Come on. <laughs> like, it seems there's a little bit of sexism in that request. Is I in the spirit of trying to take the best possible view of that, I mean, I can see where uh, my grand my grandfather owned a business, and when he died, I do, I could see him doing that. Now they were a very different generation, right? But I could see him doing that because he didn't want her to feel pressured to make decisions, which is sexist too, right? Right. But, but I could see it falling under the guise more protectorism than I don't exactly. Think smart and to that make is these true. Decisions. Yeah. So what we so early on when I'm first meeting with people in this. It, we talk about that. I say, if you don't want your wives on the very first meeting to run this company, then we need to put something in place like insurance or a right for the company to buy your wife out. So she yeah. gets liquidity. She doesn't have to work in the business. 
And it could be his husband too. Sure, but I'm right. like, you know, if, if you, you don't, don't want to, if you're, if you're, I assume it could be children too yeah. that don't want to work in the business. Yeah, if you don't think your family members want this, let's just figure out a way and we'll structure it in your documents how you get bought out if you die. Your, you know, your family gets that liquidity. So there is a way to gently get around those kinds of concerns. And you're right. I think generally it comes from, you know, my wife doesn't want to do this. My spouse doesn't want to run this right. company. Won't know how to run it. Will be, it will feel terrible. Should I die? Yeah. I'm sure there are, I'm sure the opposite is true sometimes too. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's an interesting perspective. I mean, I guess I don't typically think about that side of, of some of the, I, I guess I could, like I knew somebody who was building a business and they wanted it to stay in a very specific part of town, right? They were not willing to move it, but it was like, well, I want to sell it, but I want to make sure that it stays right. Right. And I remember being like, think that's how it's going to work. Like, yeah. I don't know that you can do that. And so I can see that owners might have a vision for, and I've seen firsthand owners having a vision. And I think you mentioned it actually on your profile on your website. You talked about the difference between founders and stakeholders and sort of their, you know, negotiating those priorities. Right. 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 Because I think, I think one thing that is sellers struggle with is for example, they are like, I don't want them to ever be able to fire my employees or move my headquarters. Like you said, kind of the same thing. And, you know, I have to gently say like, when you don't own the bus, you don't really get to drive the bus anymore. And, you know, while it is probably their intention, we can ask them if they want to keep your employees, but if things are going poorly or if it's a bad fit, you know, they, they are going to have every right to terminate those employees. And I think that's sometimes hard for sellers to let go of that control or just their concern about their employees. Yeah. That's a request I hear a lot from, you know, family-owned businesses. Do you find that people that are serial entrepreneurs or build a lot of businesses have are able to detach a little yes. bit easier? Yes. Right? I would think that would be true. Yes. Versus this is my very first baby. And, and I've run it for 20 years and these people are like my family. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that that's true. Yeah. If you're a serial entrepreneur, I think you're much more probably detached and a little bit more objective about it. Sheila, you mentioned something that caught my attention and, and because I can tell you're really passionate about your entrepreneurs and the businesses that you work with, but then you're, you're running your own business. So how do you split your time between client work and running your business? And has that been a transition that was difficult for you? Yes. Um, I would, my gosh, that's so insightful because that is something I'm working on a lot right now. How do I, it, we can only grow if I delegate more client work. And, you know, the part I also love is uh, bringing on new clients. Yeah. Doing the rainmaking part. So, yeah. you know, we are just building our team and it is hard to let go, but because you have this feeling that no one can do it as great, good as me. No one can draft this document as good as Sheila Sack. <laughs> <laughs> and my name's going to be on it. Exactly. So I care. Right. So, but then you have to, you know, uh, just... You know, I am really good at delegating the admin stuff, um, but the legal part, you know, but we've made a huge transition this year, which is allowing us to grow. We brought on some really good attorneys, um, but that is right. It's like a balance. So my goal in 2023 is to spend more time on strategy, on developing, you know, how we're going to grow versus just drafting a contract. So Sheila, you mentioned your 2023 goals and we were talking about sort of stepping back from certain things and, and pushing into others. So what are you looking forward to doing in 23? Yeah, so we are, we have a goal to double our revenue. 
which wow, you know that's, that's a, a big, huge goal. big goal yeah which requires us to do a lot of things efficiently grow our team you know me delegate more so um, provide um, with a focus on customer service how do we make customers feel really good about the service that they're getting from us and not just the legal work but like are they getting enough attention and all those kinds of things so it's uh, revenue growth, but also with a focus on like how do we improve our customer relationships. So, are there roles you're adding to the team to help address some of those things? Because that seems like it could be counterintuitive, right? You're growing your business, but you want everybody to still have that same customer experience. So, is it is it mostly lawyers you're adding, or are there other roles you're adding to the business? Yeah, to so mostly scale? lawyers, but we've added some customer service uh, just. Making sure that we're following up, we are reaching out to them on a regular basis. Um, we are, you know, adding a customer satisfaction kind of program. Um, just ways to make sure that we, the communication is going on a regular basis and we're not dropping the ball so people feel like, you know, my lawyer's not paying attention to me. Um, which with, when you're growing really fast and you're doing a lot of deals and you're prioritizing your work on a daily basis, you know, sometimes things you know get dropped if you're not really paying attention to those details yeah so what does that mean for you and your role it, then as you scale and you look at what the business is going to look like at, at double the size how does that change your day-to-day -day? Um, I think I you know less practicing less document drafting more process you know we have to improve our processes we have to things make things more consistent everybody has to understand what those processes are so more training for our team you know, when you have one or two attorneys, you can do it very ad hoc. You know, you take this deal, I'll take this deal, and it'll all be fine. Because we get more clients and um, just people just need training and to understand like what our culture and how we're gonna operate. So I think it's training and communication within our team. That's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, training is hard to do. I mean, I think Agreed. we all talk about training, but it's hard to really be um, sort of, codified or I don't know the right word but it's like it's one thing to say I'm gonna sit down with you one-on-one -on -one and I can train you to do right. something it's another thing to like okay how do I build this process so that we don't just train one person to do it this way we train everybody to do it this way and that's a different level of of rigor and and sort of detail right yeah or compared to like a private uh, a personal injury firm what maybe they do car crashes so they're taking calls from car crash people and their process is very similar but a poor young associate in our office could be working on a capital raise one day a stock option agreement the next day a sales purchase agreement so I feel like uh, these everybody who comes that they haven't done our practice they're just getting there's no you know process that allows them to learn everything quickly it's just years of you know learning your craft yeah, with the kind of work that we do, which well, is a good part about it. It's so interesting. Even as many years as I practiced, I still love it. Well, it's a notoriously, you know, time-intensive right art, right? So, or like craft. you said, while we talk training, that's harder to implement than than yeah. it sounds. Oh yeah, yeah, I bet that's true. Because there's so much nuance and fact-based things. Because a purchase agreement, for example, will be. What does our client want? What are the risks in the business? What are risks are we trying to minimize for them? Which would be different from a retail store compared to a senior living facility sure. or compared to a manufacturing company. So there's all these nuances that just sometimes take experience and you can't teach it just as part of a training program necessarily. Well, and I would think you're dealing with different jurisdictions too, right? Right. Is that, mm -hmm. I assume that adds some complexity to it yes. as well. Mm -hmm. 
and just everybody's goals are different and so there's a lot to man there's a lot to juggle and to think about all the time well i think it's really interesting i think your firm and i think what you've built your business around is just so fascinating like i just love that side of what you do and hearing about the legal side of some of those transactions i find really awesome so i love hearing about it but i know you do a lot of civic community service too and it, you have a life outside of your firm and all of the great things that you've built so what do you do with your time where you're not building your firm yeah so one thing i love to do is travel and so COVID actually you know changed that for a lot of employees and business owners so i travel quite a bit and we are partially remote and in the office so i've been able to squeeze in you know, trips where I work part of the day and then, yeah. you know, I'm on, I went to France and Spain this year and Mexico and Florida a couple times. So I feel like I'm getting to do all this travel and work. So it's pretty seamless for clients. Um, you know, That's I'm great. on a couple of not-for-profit boards and that is very rewarding. Um, and I play pickleball in golf. You do? do are you a pickleball player? Do you play player? with Patrick Mahomes? Because doesn't he now own a pickleball franchise? No, I don't. But he has the first, like a professional franchise. Yeah, I'm right. sure I could be Which is crazy, exactly. right? Yeah. No, I, so I have a good friend that during COVID, that was what one of the things she picked up. And so I have played pickleball a couple of times. And it is, it's really fun. It is, it is fun. fun. So do you play on a league? Like you play I just play like kind of a... Uh, informal league with some other business women on Sunday mornings, which is that's super yeah, fun. It's fun. Yeah. yeah what a great good. idea. Yeah. So, you know, like I think all of us, but you know, unlike you who still have so, you know, a kids to manage, which is a full, you know, yeah. taking, going to games and theater and all those things where, you know, my kids are, don't live in Kansas City. And so, you know, it gives me a lot of time to, you know, pick up a lot of fun things like golf and pickleball and, well, I I started golfing during COVID also, so I um, love to play Which we're going to have to go out. We're going to have to go out. I'm very bad. Like That's I'm okay. Just warning you. I'm better than I used to be, but I'm not very good. I, um, we're all aspirational golfers. But I love it. I love it. I find it so, I, I don't know. It's like, I mean, it, of course it's extremely frustrating, which anybody who golfs would tell you it's extremely frustrating, but it's, I just love being outside and it's just, it's such a, it's relaxing. It's like, just gives you some headspace and... I don't know. Like you can concentrate. I mean, you don't have to concentrate that much. You can kind of drink while you do it. Which exactly. Is nice. And exactly. so, like, I love any sport where you can drink and play the sport exactly. at the same time. Yeah. And so, when I see young women who go like, "I'm not going to learn to play golf. I'll just drive the golf the cart." I always say, "Don't be that girl." I go, "Don't be that girl," because <laughs> for me, not only um, do you play with other businessmen or can be invited to those things. But I found a community of women who all business women who golf, and I think that's been valuable for friendships, for business, um, to be part of that community. And so I would tell any young woman, take some golf lessons. I think one thing that we all think when we're beginning golfers that everyone else is really good. Yes. And that's not true. Yes. So I think getting over that intimidation that everyone else is really, really good and you're going to be terrible, I think you just kind of have to push yourself to get over that. Well, I think we should definitely play golf together. Absolutely. So that's something we definitely need to do. Now, do your boys play golf too? They do. Mm -hmm. oh, one great. of them is obsessed and the other one is will play we'll with play. us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I played with last summer with a guy who was obsessed and he was trying to play down to me. We decided to scramble to the back nine and I had just gotten to where I was really comfortable, right? And then they paired me, because they're trying to be fair, they paired me with the best golfer 
And then he which spent is intimidating, him, right? Which is so intimidating. But he's like, he's a great driver, and I thought, well, great, you'll drive, and then I'll, you know, I'll do my thing later right. on. And then he spent the whole time totally chastising himself about how bad he was playing. Which, by the way, he was like the guy. There used to be like a Bud Light commercial where it was like, here's to the guy who hits it 400 yards every time, even though it always goes in the rough. That was that guy at that time. And I'm like, why are we doing? <laughs> and I had the worst experience, so we got to the end, I looked at my friend and I was like, I'm never playing with him again. I was like, I can't do it. It's Because he'd be like, oh, it's not you, you're doing so good. And then he hit it like 300 yards and be like, you know, we'll use yours that went 75, but you're doing so great, thanks so much. And I'm like, oh my gosh, so bad. I so, know. I'm just a little play. too competitive for it, I think, is my yeah, problem. that's okay. When I chill out, I'm fine, but like if I get... It was too much competition for me. My husband does not play. Because really sometimes that's worse, like, like when your husband coaches you. That's Yes. I, I Most of my friends whose husbands play are pretty miserable about it, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's and such a fun game, but you can become obsessed. It's fun. It's a fun day, and it's a fun, like, it's long. I mean, when I took my, I took my 16-year-old, because I agree, I think it's important for girls and boys to learn how to do some of those what I call sort of social sports because from a networking perspective you do those things and you go to places and it's good to be able to pick up some conversation and feel comfortable doing those things but so I took her and she's like she's got about through about 10 and she or maybe 12 she's like why do we play 18 yeah, I feel like 12 is good 12 is 18 is a lot. nine is not quite long enough right but 18 is like could have been done a half hour ago. That's funny that you say that because I'm like, I feel like golf should have a twelve, a twelve hole, perfect, a twelve it hole would be round, perfect. Yes, I totally. Because nine, agree. you're like a little bit like I still wanted to play some more, but eighteen, you're like I want to go have a cocktail. <laughs> right, something. and I'm already out on the cart, so exactly. I'm going to do something else. Exactly. Yes, I totally agree. So. Sheila, thank you so much for being with me today. I like to end the conversation by asking you for a piece of advice. So what's your piece of advice for whether it's a student or somebody who's interested in building a business or, I mean, what would be your, your great lesson that you've learned? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I feel like I have a lot, but one thing that I have used the last couple of years, which has really helped my growth is like, we all need coaches and mentors. And sometimes you may, so you might need a coach. We use a law firm coach. We oh, have how a, interesting. Yeah, so we're in a law firm peer group, which has been super helpful. Um, I have a coach for our team in Kansas City. We use EOS, so we have an EOS coach. Um, you know, I have a personal trainer. So I think all those things, like if we think we already know how to do everything, I think that really limits where we can go. But if we engage some really good coaches and mentors, I think it can really help us accelerate what we're doing. I think and that's really good advice. Because I think I think part of being a constant learner is being able to step back and go, right. there's somebody out there that knows more about this mm -hmm. than I do, and how do I figure that out faster, right? Right, right. So I think that is uh, something I've really found valuable the last couple of years. And of course the other advice is just like, take that risk, you know, don't look back and be sorry that you didn't do something or start your own business or whatever it is, you know, don't live a life of regret. That's great. That's great. That's probably, I'm sure there are as many people as you meet who are excellent risk takers. You know, there's plenty of us that are maybe not quite so 
risk, risk forward. Yeah. So Mostly my people are all risk takers. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, they are. Right. The lawyers probably are not huge risk takers no. by nature, right? So you're right. sort of the, the counterbalance for some of that, I'm sure. I think I'm riskier than most lawyers, yeah. Risk, have a higher risk tolerance, let's put it that way. Well, I'm sure that that's what makes you great at what you do. Well, thanks for having me today. Thanks for being here. It was yeah. really fun catching up. Yeah, we'll have to do it again soon. Definitely. On the golf course. Yes. <laughs> With drinks. Exactly. <laughs> thanks.